You're listening to the GGC Life Podcast, weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. I'm going to continue to speak on um, evangelism, how to, how to speak to people about Christ. And um, so today I want to talk a bit about our story, how we can share our story. I want to t- give you tips on how to share your story. Everyone's got a powerful story. Your story is God's story. I'm going to give you handouts. There's three different handouts that's going to help you. Pointers. And if you're really, really serious, you'll take this and you'll get, get quiet before God. And um, there's pointers there. And I'll explain it in a moment on things that you can put down about your story so it becomes your testimony. And you actually can practice three to minutes. It should take you three to five minutes to share your story, how you came to Christ how God influenced you. And then we're going to talk about how to share the gospel as well. Trying to equip us. Everyone should be proficient in sharing the gospel. If someone says to you, give me an answer of your faith. Why do you believe in God? Like, Or if someone says, how how do I get saved? What are you going to say? So we want to all be equipped. And obviously we share this relationally. It's always going to come out different. And depending on the person you're speaking to, it'll come out always different sometimes it comes out really really deep because the person you're speaking to is really really hungry other times you know you you have to explain that meaning before you get to the next step and all those things so be very organic be very relational but when i look at um, if you've got your bibles please turn to psalms 51 because before we we share our faith i really believe our relationship with god has got to be so on fire and in a sense the people will follow us, people that don't know Christ will follow us when they see what's on our life. Because they see what's on our life, they get hungry for God. We spoke a few weeks ago that we are the salt of the earth, we are the light of the earth. And when, when the light is lit up like a lamp in a, in a house, in those days when they didn't have electricity like we do, they literally lit up that little lamp and they wouldn't put it under the, under the bed. They wouldn't put it in, in, uh, under a basket. They put it on, the, on a place where it's going to shed light to the whole room. And so Jesus is saying, let your light shine. Let the world see your light. And salt, salt preserves, salt gives taste and flavor, and salt also makes you thirsty. So salt has to touch the thing it's affecting. If it's not touching, it won't affect. And so people will be thirsty. Some people will never be thirsty for God until they taste you. They see your life. I've heard it time and time again. Uh, a lady many years ago came to Christ in our church. Her name was Bernie. She had no hunger for God. She said, I wasn't even looking for God. I wasn't even searching for God. But she was working with my sister. And she saw something on my sister that she wanted. It was joy. It was freedom. It was peace. It was love. It was security. It was knowing where you're going. It's knowing your purpose. It's, we've got something the world doesn't have. And sometimes they have to taste and see that. That's what happened to me. I... I was searching. I, I, I'm, I'm a person that I was searching at the age of 19, but I didn't know what I was searching for. I was looking for love, looking for acceptance. Yes, I, was look, I believed in a God, and I believed you could know God, but I didn't know God. But when I saw Christians, I had to, I had to go to church to experience what they had. And I, didn't even, I couldn't even put my finger on it back then. But I could tell you now that it was the fact that they had something I didn't have. They had love. They had security. They had identity. They knew who they were. They knew where they were going. They had purpose in life. They had a lot of freedom. And all these things attracted me, and that's what made me go, I want to know what they know. So everyone's different. But if you read Psalms 51, one thing I know 
is we should never lose the reality that our sins have been forgiven. We've got the greatest message. People don't realize, but one day our life will be gone. Our life here on earth is like a vapor, the Bible says. A puff of smoke, here today, gone tomorrow. One day we will all stand before God. And everyone has a debt towards God. Whether they realize it or not, a lot of people don't understand it, don't even realize it anymore. The world has diluted our, our, our accountability towards God because we don't, even, we don't believe that we'll stand before God one day. But, the, but Jesus says every person will stand before God and give an account of their words and their actions and their motives. Every single one of us. So think about it this way. This is the truth of the Word of God. One day we'll all stand before God and we all have a debt towards God and you and I cannot stand in His presence without Christ, without a mediator, without someone who took our penalty and took our judgment. If I didn't accept Christ, see God's going to judge us for the sin of rejecting Christ or not accepting His Son. He's going to say, when we stand before God, what did you do with my Son? Because it's only accepting Jesus as your Savior, believing that God loved you so much that someone else took the penalty and judgment for us. And as a believer, as a Christian, when we say yes to Jesus and we bow down and say, yes, Lord, we believe in you. We believe, God, we believe in God's love, God's mercy, God's goodness so much so that you sent someone else to take the penalty for our sin. It's a free gift, salvation, it's love, it's mercy. We've accepted it and now our debt's gone. So we, we are, I mean, I think of old people. I'm thinking, I'm 50 now. And my, my life went like that. And I'm thinking, well, another 50 will go another, another puff of smoke just really quick. But the older you get, the happier we should be. As Christians, we should be the most joyful old people in the, on the planet. Because we're getting closer to heaven to be with God. Think about it for a second. Someone visited us last Sunday. He was 105 years old. Came to church. Sat in this meeting. 105. He's so close to heaven. He's so close to look into the Father's face. He's got to be the happiest person because he can just go any, go any second. Come on. The reality is we can any, anyone can go. You know that. But we all, God's got a time on us. and As long as you're walking in obedience, he's going he's to use you. But we should be the happiest people on the planet. What I'm trying to say, we should be the most joy-filled and free people. The enemy would do everything he can to get us distracted, disappointed, discouraged. All these things, hurt, wounded, spiritually wounded, you know, offended, unforgiveness, so that we're not the most joyful people. But let's have a quick read of Psalms 51, and then we'll dive into sharing our story and, and the gospel. Have mercy upon me, O God. Look what David says. The whole, the whole half of the psalm is basically all about the fact that God forgave him of his sin. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. And you know what he has already through Jesus? He's already done this. We're not asking him to do something he hasn't already done. We're on the other side of the cross. God has had mercy on us and he has demonstrated his loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, David is saying. So we know he's actually done that. He's already blotted out your transgressions. You did have sin towards God, but he's deleted every, everything on your account. There is no sin on your account against your name. Do you believe what Jesus did? The Bible says, Him who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And it says, He imputed unto Jesus our sin. If God put our sin upon His account, it's because He put His righteousness on our account. 
All our sins have been blotted out, forgiven, washed, cleansed. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You remember David's writing this on the other side of the cross. He believed in God's mercy. He even understood something about the, the Messiah coming. And there would be a Messiah that would come. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. This is David's heart. And my sin is always before me. Again, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. In other words, I've, when I've sinned, David's saying it's against you. You only. Behold, I just, he goes, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother has conceived me. So he's still talking about the sin issue, the sin problem and the sin issue in his life. He goes, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. You want us to be honest and, and vulnerable and so, and so on. And he says, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And he's actually done it. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones, when I look up the original word for um, that you have broken, it doesn't say you. It just says the bones that have broken. That's what it means in the Hebrew. It's funny how we write it down. It sounds like God's broken my bones. But, but the bone part of our body is the strongest part of our structure. And so even the strongest part of us can break. But let me hear gladness and joy so that the bones that were the most strongest part have been broken can be restored. And he's done that in Christ. The strongest part of you. Yes, the world has broken us. Sin has broken us. But Christ restored us and healed us. And I love the fact that he says that we may rejoice. He says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. This is David's heart, but he's prophesying about the cross and what has happened. This has already happened. Blot, hide your face from my sin. God has done this. Blot out all my iniquities. Jesus, the word of God says in the book of Hebrews that I will remember your sins no more because of what Jesus did on the cross. So in God's mind, I believe he has the capacity to actually remember your sin no more. So when you say, but God, what about this, what I did last week? If you confess it and ask God to forgive you, what sin? Um, he makes a decision to get it out of his mind. He'll remember your sins no more. Why am I driving this home? If we really, 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 a thousand reallys believe this, you and I will be the, the most joyful people on the planet. Don't ever forget, your sins have been forgiven. I've known God for 30-something years. I, I gave my life to Christ at 19. And I'm still grateful today. Because I, sometimes you have to remind yourself, where would I have been without Christ? The road I was traveling on, I was a mess. I mean, I was pretty good compared to most of my friends. But I was on the way to wrecking my life. I, I know where I was traveling. I know what I was thinking. And I found Christ at the right time. Not that he was lost, you know what I'm saying. In Christ... I mean, I came to Christ. Well, why was I hiding? I don't know. I was. Because you're in darkness. You don't know any better. But, but listen to this. This, is, this gets better. Verse 10 says, this is David's heart. Created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Re create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit. That word in um, King James Version and other translations say right spirit. I looked up the word steadfast. It actually means right. It means Steadfast, it means sure, it means good attitude. So renew, I love this, he has created me a clean heart. 
the first step to making sure we're going to win the lost to the world, lost from the lost, to the, lost in the world to Christ, is make sure our hearts stay clean. Yeah. And make sure our hearts have a steadfast spirit, a right spirit, a good attitude. So, so what's the enemy going to do? He's going to do his absolute best to pollute your heart, to contaminate your heart with the world, to contaminate our hearts with sin. If you can slowly, you know, just a little bit of compromise, a little bit of compromise, a little bit of sin, a little bit of this, a little bit. Of, and before you know it, a little bit of discouragement, a little bit of disappointment, a little bit of, I got hurt and wounded. I'm going to put a shield up. I'm going to put a wall up. I'm not going to trust people as much because I got hurt. And if we don't know how to let go and forgive, because God says we should forgive others as he forgives us. If we don't learn to practice faith and love with one another, before you know it, you'll be a, a scrunched up prune. Or lemon, you know, like a lemon. You know, who wants to follow some? Come to my church. <laughs> and we're just sort of sad, depressed, at work, you're never joyful. You come in with your head down, a little bit down, a little bit condemned, guilty, feeling condemned and, and, and insecure and feeling bad about yourself. And we just come and follow what I have. Why would you? Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a, a right spirit. Make sure our spirit, this is our responsibility. This is, you know, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 says, Above all things, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. Other translations say, out of our heart flows the boundaries of life. The boundary lines we set, we limit ourselves by what's in our heart. What we allow in our heart, negativity, if you allow it in your heart, and being critical and judgmental and all that, if you allow those things in your heart, you're setting boundaries and limitations that God doesn't put. Above all things, guard your heart. Because they, they are, out of our heart flow the issues of life. And this is what it's talking about, creating me a clean heart, oh God. Make sure we protect our heart before God and before one another. God has given us armor of, you know, the Bible talks about the armor, the clothing of the breastplate of righteousness, you know, the belt of truth and the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, and a shield of faith. Make sure that faith shield is up all the time. That faith shield is supposed to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. If your faith isn't up and it gets through your shield of faith and hits you, gets through your armor too, you, you bleed. And if you slowly bleed and don't tend to it, you just get weaker and weaker. Unforgiveness comes in, bitterness comes in. You just get distorted. What David's saying is we've got to make sure we've got this, our hearts clean before God. That's why he's like, oh, creating me a clean heart, oh God. Bring your heart before God and say, God, speak to me. Is anything in my heart, am I allowing distraction to come in? Am I allowing things to come in? Am I allowing disappointment to come in? These things of our heart, creating me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. That's number one. Number two is when you do that... His next, uh, next question was, do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. When you've got the right heart, right attitude, right spirit, you'll always be in His presence. So if we allow our guard down in that area and our hearts get disappointed, discouraged, you know, sin, contamination from the world, then guilt becomes the barrier. Not from God. We allow that. God's not putting that on you. God's not even condemning you. We condemn ourselves. And therefore, we don't experience the presence of God as we should. And that's why it's cast me not away from your presence. Do not take away your Holy Spirit. We, we need your presence desperately. In other words, if we've got the right heart, right attitude, we protect our heart, we're always going to experience His presence because we experience His presence by the blood of Jesus. We experience His presence. Next one, He says, Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with your generous spirit. That word generous means free spirit. So, Restore to me the joy 
of our salvation. The word salvation means deliverance, freedom, prosperity, salvation in every area of our life. Restore to me the joy. You say, oh, I'm saved, but did you have the joy of your salvation? So I was talking about the whole sin thing. The debt is gone. Everything. Think about it. That you don't have to fear death. So I was talking about old people. When you get older, you don't have to, oh, my life is coming to an end. No, you're getting closer to eternity, to joy, brand new body, to be in heaven forever. Wow. So, so we, we th- we, our outlook is completely different. Our perspective is completely different. Restore to me the joy of what we have. The salvation. We have God in us. Christ with us. Holy Spirit walking with us. Come on. But the enemy wants to get us discouraged. Disappointed. Forget what we have. Sometimes you have to think back and remember. That's why it's so important to be grateful for all that you have and all that you've been given by God and all the things you have in Christ. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Uphold me with your free spirit. Joy and freedom are two beautiful aspects that the world will want desperately. The world wants to the world wants joy because it's real happiness. I mean, they're looking for happiness in, in happenings, in things that happen to them. But joy comes from within, even if bad things are happening. You can go to sleep in a storm when you've got Christ in you. I'm talking about that sort of stuff. When bad things are happening, tragedies hit you, and the world, you go to church, you go to work, and they go, What's, why are you so full of joy still? How come you're still smiling? How come you still got to step on your, you got to skip on your steps still? What is it? Because I've got Christ. I'm in the boat. Yes, it's storming, but I can go to sleep. Completely different. So I'm not talking about being happy when everything's good. I'm talking about being joyful even when bad things happen. The joy of my salvation. It's salvation that we're joyful over. And also uphold me with, my, with your free spirit. Generous spirit. When we got all that in place, it says, Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners shall be converted to you. It's like that's when we're going to bring people to Christ. When they see the joy on our, on our face and joy in our life and the freedom that we're living. Because they'll want what we've got. And if I look at why aren't we reaching the last, why aren't we seeing sinners saved? Because we can have the best message, you can have the best perfect um, delivery of the gospel, of your story. But if you're a prune, and I'm a prune, and I'm a little bit down, and I'm not really happy, and I'm full of joy, and I'm not living in freedom... If I can have the best delivery, they're going to really want to follow me. They'll follow joy and freedom more than anything. That's why new believers bring people to Christ more. They just get saved. They're so grateful of what they've got. They just tell everybody. You can't keep them quiet. They're telling everyone. And everyone follows them. They go, I want to check out what you've got. Why are you so happy? Why are you full of joy? What is it? And they'll come and they bring so many people to church. And people get saved. If we don't lead people to Christ, it's because we don't have a free spirit and joy of our salvation. But why don't we have a free spirit? I'm going backwards now. Why don't we have a free spirit and a, the joy of our salvation? Because we're not in his presence. Why aren't we in his presence? Because we've allowed our heart to be unclean, contaminated, distracted, disappointed. See what David's trying to say? We've got to make sure we're living in this freedom, living in this joy. It's a fight. The f- Bible, Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. Yes, it's a fight. It takes a fight, but it's a good fight. It's a fight we win because God has already won the victory for us. So now we're enforcing what he's won for us. Amen? I encourage you, read this psalm over and over. Get it into your spirit and speak to the Holy Spirit and ask him, God, what areas in my life have I allowed the world to contaminate? Maybe little by little, maybe just creeping in. What do I need to protect? 
really the Mark chapter 4 thing. The sower sowed the word. It fell on certain ground. The cares of this world choked the word and it became unfruitful. What's the cares of the world? Deceitfulness of riches, lust of other things, and the, and the pride of this life. So we've got to make sure. The cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, sorry, and the lust of other things is in that scripture. Pride of life is in 1 John. So how do we tell our story? Briefly. I've always, when you, when you tell your story, when you tell someone about Christ, it, it's always about your life before Christ. Tell them a little bit about your life before Christ. And some of the pointers here is what about my life before Christ will relate most to non-Christians I know. My life before Christ is, you know, like I was, I was this. This is what I was. This is what I was looking. I was looking for love here. I was looking for attention. I was a braid dancer. I was looking for attention by what I was doing. Um, I was looking for love. I was looking for acceptance. I'm, it's, I'm telling them what I was. What did my, number two, what did my life revolve around? Where did I get my security, my identity or happiness from? Everyone's got this story. So everyone's got, you've got to be honest with yourself and go, okay, well, I'm just using me as an example. For me, uh, my identity was found in what I could do. So breakdancing. And then I got into fashion designing because I wanted to be the best fashion designer. But it was always about becoming someone, being famous, being wealthy, being rich. And if I attain to it, then I'll be happy. That was my identity. Looking for love and acceptance by what I could do. So I was always putting on a mask. So when I tell my story, I, I share my story. I say, this is what I was doing. Everyone's doing something different, but this is what I was doing. How did those things begin to let me down? Well, because I had all that limelight. I had a bit of limelight. I went on TV for our breakdancing, all that sort of stuff, you know, go into it. But, but at night time, when I'm at my bedroom by myself, half asleep, half awake, what's the meaning of life? Why am I here? Tears rolling down my cheek thinking, why do I feel so empty? Just had a mad night going out. I still feel empty. I don't have purpose. Why? What's the exist? What's the purpose of life? Why do I exist? So, in other words, it left me empty. Didn't satisfy. When I say that, I'm letting people know. Yeah, you can have all that worldly wealth, and you can have all the successes. You can still be empty. Christianity isn't for just those that need it for a crutch. It's for the, every single person on the planet, the most successful in the world. Because Jesus said, what does it gain a person if he gains the whole? What does it profit a person if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? And you know, I saw a picture on Facebook. Hugh, Hugh F. Hefner, the playboy person who started that. So Hugh and then Bill, Bill, Billy Graham. Both guys born the same year. Both guys died the same year. One, one guy led millions astray. One guy led millions to Christ. It doesn't matter what he did on this planet. Who will stand before God? And we should feel sorry for those guys. Not, oh, look what they're living their life. Wow. No, they're going to stand before God. The most richest person on the planet, no matter how great he was here, will stand before God absolutely naked without Christ, spiritually speaking. No justification for their life. Because you don't get to heaven by your works. No one does. It's only when we put our faith in Christ that we're clothed with the wedding garments. So we talk about our, just you know, briefly, when you get this, it's going to be, it's going to be at the back there on, as you walk out. There's a hundred of them. So husbands and wives, take one, please, and work through it together. And this will help you write down your testimony. Write it as if you would speak it. Like, what would you say when you to say it to someone, a friend, someone at work? And then practice it. 
the more you practice it, the better you, it'll come out. It'll come out different all the time, but you remember the points. You remember the high things, the things that you want to remember to explain to them. How I came to Christ. When was the first time I heard the gospel? What was my initial reaction? What was the first time you heard the gospel? Think about that. Um, I remember people telling me about, it wasn't more the gospel, but it was more about how they um, were touched by God, how the Holy Spirit touched these people, Holy Spirit filled them. And I was curious, I want to check this church out where God fills them and they speak in unknown languages. I'm 19. Man, I, all my mates are into drugs and everything and they're looking for a high and they're looking for a fix and they're looking for... You know, I want to see if this is real. That's, that was my, my curiosity. I want to check it out. I heard... I didn't understand the gospel. I never under, they never really brought... Never brought across that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I can have peace with God. That came eventually, but that's not what drew me at first. To be honest with you, I think because people were praying, somehow God unlocked my heart. And I just think, how do I, be- how do I just believe like that, looking back? I just believed. Well, I-, I saw it in them. I saw that they had something I didn't have. And I believed that they were getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm glad I did because it was true. And then I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I encountered God. It wasn't just watching what they were encountering. I actually got filled with the Holy Spirit in my bedroom by myself. Half asleep, half awake, the Holy Spirit fills me. I speak in tongues and I got scared and I stopped it. But the next day, I'm doing a Bible study with three of the brothers from that church. We did about a two-hour Bible study. And I'm saying to them, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit properly. That was the, I received the Holy Spirit last night, but I got scared. I want to receive. I was that hungry. And we went out to a park in the middle of the, the, the night under the stars and I got filled with the Holy Spirit. So you share your story. What touched you? What impacted you? I always tell people, I saw love in people when I went to church. I saw they had something I didn't have. They're very friendly. Other things is they, they loved me and accepted me for who I was. Not, they never asked me, what do you do? What do you do? Like on the basis of what you do and accomplish, then I'll, they just loved me for who I was. I felt that. They didn't care if I was a good break dancer or if I was good at something. They just loved me for who I was. That drew me. So certain things touched everyone differently, but you're telling your story. Um, and the other one is when and why did my perspective begin to change towards Christ? For me, some of the thoughts were, they were saying everything from the Bible. I had a foundational belief that the Bible was the Word of God. Never read it in my life. But they said, everything we're doing is from the Bible. I said, okay. So it was still scary for me, but I believed the Bible, God's Word. And then I, the thoughts I combated was, how do you know it's not from the devil? How do you know they just don't want your money? How do you know they don't want to brainwash you? Maybe it's just all brainwashing. Maybe it's all this. Maybe it's a, a scam. I had all those thoughts until what they said was in the Bible. And I said, like, well, it's in the Bible. I can't go wrong. That's, that was my foundation as a Catholic boy. I believe the Bible. God's Word says this. So that's what drew me. That was my fight. And, but that's what started to make me think, well, if it's, as long as it's in the Bible, I'm safe. And what were the final struggles that went through my mind just before I accepted Him? Why did I finally, did, why did I finally accept Christ and give Him com- complete control of my life? So that's the questions you have to ask yourself and you write down your story and learn to say that. Because that's what's potent. But ne- and then the last one is my life after coming to Christ. You explain what is it like now. So th- sometimes you say, this is what my life was like. I was so empty, I was so this, so this, and I came to Christ. And you never tell people what, what it's like. People need to hear what is it like walking with Christ. How is my life different now? List some specific changes in your character, attitude, perspective on life. Like I don't fear death anymore. I know I'm going to heaven. That's, a, that's an attitude, isn't it? 
to not be afraid of dying. Um, I have joy regardless of my circumstances. That's an attitude. The Holy Spirit fills me. I've got intimacy. Whenever things happen, I can go to God. I have a source that I can go to that He fills me up with love. So everyone's different. You tell your story. What, have, what motivates me now and what do I live for? This is all about your story. It's so powerful because everyone's have a powerful story. And I've got another piece of paper that tells you 10, um, 10 tips for sharing your testimony. It's just things like you're, you're, you got the power. You already have it. Don't think, oh, I don't, I don't have the ability. I, I'm not a good speaker. Now everyone has. And your story does count. You might think, but mine's not a very powerful one. It wasn't really drastic. It wasn't really dramatic. But it's still a, your story. How many millions of people out there need to hear your story told your way? We need, a lot of, we need a lot of people telling. I grew up in the church. I gave my life to Christ at the age of five. And I never looked back. It's a powerful story. The saving power of Christ. That, that person never needed to go into the world. We need more of those. We need to praise God and glorify and thank you and rejoice at those stories. As much as the mafia do that burnt people and put them in acid baths. I've heard those stories. People say, I used to get rid of bodies in acid baths and they get radically saved. Wow. And we go, wow. Everyone wants to listen to their story when they come into town. Imagine saying, listen to this guy. He gave his life to the Lord at five and never walked back. Who's going to come to that? We're such a... (laughs) We're such a... What's the dramatic news, isn't it? Everything's dramatic. You know? Because dramatic sells. Imagine saying, there's, um, I don't know how many teachers there are around in Australia, but let's say there's 155,432 teachers that have been teaching for the last 20, 30 years have never sexually molested anybody. Why don't we hear those stories? It's only those ones that do bang. That's what they did to Billy Graham. What do you got to say about Jimmy Baker? They interviewed him at an airport. Jimmy Baker, Jimmy Swaggart, and they both fell down. And they want to hear this great man of God, Billy Graham, what are you going to say about these men represent Christ and all that they're supposed to do? And look what great ministries and look what they did. And he goes, we're in an airport. Thousands and thousands of planes take off and land every single day. None of them get on news. When one has an accident and crashes, that gets on news. Isn't that true? It's absolutely true. There's thousands and thousands, millions of pastors that stayed the course. We don't hear about them. We hear about the ones that fall. So we need to know how to share our story. And the last point is we should know how to share God, the gospel. We should all know how to be equipped to actually share the gospel. If someone asks you, what do I have to do to be saved? Then you need to know how to share the gospel. And this one here will help you with that. And if I can say too, there's an app, if those that are really into phones and apps just look up God's tools God's tools there's only one up there I've got it on my phone now God's tools and it will give you four different ways pretty much to share this it's got pictures in it you can use the app it's got scripture open it up every single scripture to back that point but the first principle is God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life you got to let people be convinced that God's in love with them. He created them for a purpose. He created them for relationship. The reason why He created mankind is so He could have a love relationship with His children. So He's got a plan. He loves you dearly. He wants you. He desires you. Like people need to know that God's a good God, and you explain that, and then and then the, the other th- then you explain principle number two. 
is all of sin and, and our sin has separated us from God. There's a big gulf between us and God because of our sin. And you can explain that to the, as deep as you like. You could go back to Adam and Eve and they're walking with God and the nature of God, the likeness of God. They fellowship with God. But God says, don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't, I want you to walk in relationship with me, but don't do your own thing. But they decided to do their own th- sin. You have to convince them somehow of the concept of sin, that we've disobeyed the law of God, we've disobeyed God, and therefore there's consequences to sin. There's punishment to sin. Sometimes you have to th- explain to people, if there was a mass murderer, serial killer, it's killing our children, and you capture him, we think it's only fair and just to put him away in jail forever. Don't we? If that person gets you know, freed, goes to court, and the judge says, I will just let you give you two weeks in jail and you can be free. We'd be outraged because justice wasn't served. We think it's absolutely fair and righteous and just to put him in jail for the rest of his life. Some places have capital judgment. But we believe it's just for him to be punished. It's a physical jail. Well, hell is a spiritual jail. And we've got to show people the consequence of a holy God, that we've disobeyed a holy God. Sin has separated us from a holy God. Sometimes you have to explain some of these things until they understand but you might come across someone that says, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm separated from God. I know if I was to die, I'm going to go to hell. So don't spend hours to try to convince him the concept of sin. Because he believes he's a sinner and he believes if he was to die, he's going to go to hell. So then you, you know where he stands. You can bring the answer quickly. But if someone doesn't think he's a sinner, I'm not that bad. Like one person the other day just sort of said, truth is, tr- you know, there's all ways to God. There's no, no good one religion saying to the other religions that, that they're raised wrong. Because there's, there's many ways to God. Well, that's not true at all. It's like saying truth is relevant. Truth is not relevant. There's only truth. And it's not subject to your opinion of truth. Truth is truth. In the physical world, we know truth is truth. You have to convince them of this. One plus one item is two. It's not three. You can say it's three. It's your opinion. It's your perspective. But you're wrong. In the natural world, truth is truth. We have no problem with that. Physical law, physics, there's truth. You can base it on evidence. So we, I've told this story many, many times, but gravity is a physical law and it won't respect your opinion of that truth. Even if you go up on the top of the building, go, I don't believe in gravity. It's my figment of people's imagination. In my perspective, there's no such thing as gravity. Jumps off, there's no such thing as gravity. <laughs> no, gravity won't respect what you think of the truth of gravity. In the natural, we have no problem. Morally, it's exactly the same spiritually it's exactly the same there is truth and there is only one way to heaven so you got to convince them of that until they really because it undoes their excuses because in their mind they just think as long as you've got a good person and as long as you have some way of getting to god your own way every other way to get to god is based on your performance anyway it's your good works it's your it's man-made rules and regulations but christ is he did it for us he paid the penalty and he offers himself for free. Forgiveness for free, salvation for free. So we've got to convince them of that truth. And this will ex- help you explain it with scripture. Again, someone believes the word of God, take him to scripture. But if someone doesn't believe the word of God, and that, you know, you've got to speak truth to them. Not necessarily having to go to scripture, but you share the word, you share the truth. And then the, the third one is that Jesus Christ 
was God's only provision for our sin. Through him we can know and experience God's love and plan for our life. And in all the scripture, he died in our place. He rose from the dead. He's the only way to God in all scripture. And you explain that he paid the penalty. Just like I did earlier, Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin. And because of God's love and mercy, he loved you so much, he sent a, a sinless man, the Son of God, coming through a virgin birth, pays the penalty as if he was the sinner. But he never sinned. So he consumes the judgment of God against humanity for anyone and everyone who comes to God and believes. That's a free gift. That's not religion. That's free and that's love and that's relationship. So you explain that. People will struggle at the, ob- the obstacle of faith. They'll go, what? Is that all I have to do? It's free? Do I don't have to do anything? And sometimes they, they stumble at that. They don't get it. What are you saying it's free? I don't have to do anything? Because I keep thinking, I'm living in sin. I'm disobeying. Don't I have to fix my life? You come as you are. You actually come as you are and accept the mercy and the grace to forgive. And then the last one is actually one of the most important things. People do what I've just said, all three, really well and forget the last one. And the last one basically is they, you have to help them make a decision. They have to respond. And this will help you do that. They have to make a decision to come to Christ. They respond. Give them a chance to respond. Say yes to Christ or reject Christ. Let them know if they reject Christ, they're on their own. They'll stand before God by themselves and there is a hell to shun or accept Christ. It has to be clear. Amen. You've been listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.